0: good morning good afternoon good evening and good night welcome 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 to the author to author podcast i am your host pamela r haynes award-winning author of two books called loving the brothers and loving the sisters i interview independently published and traditionally published authors from around the globe the author to author podcast is available on 20 streaming platforms and six radio stations, namely East London Radio Mixcloud, Pam Tango Radio, UK246.com, Chalk Hill Community Radio, LWR Talk Radio, and The Sounds of My Life radio stations. This podcast is sponsored by Dalgetty Herbal Teas. Use the discount code A2AS6 for 10% off your next Dalgetty tea order. In this week's episode, I interviewed one of my sheroes. She is a prolific writer and an award-winning author of four books. Let's fly across the Atlantic Ocean and jump into her interview now. See you on the other side. Hello and good morning, um, Callie. How are you? Morning, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm um, very well thank you Um, thank you so much for joining me on the author to author podcast today um, we've been trying to set up this meeting for a while now but I'm glad to be finally speaking to you
1: <laughs> same here same
0: here so tell me what was crop over like
1: well you know I don't know if the people who are listening know exactly what crop over is but it is our annual festival that celebrates the end of the sugarcane crop i remember once seeing online somebody saying that it was the end of our pineapple crop (laughs) so we don't have a (laughs) we don't have a pineapple crop so that's basically what it is is to celebrate you know all the hard work and everything that was put into creating the sugar crop including the Processing, refining, everything. There is a ceremonial last Cane's delivery, which the Prime Minister usually goes to. But then there's also lots of parties. You know, there's lots of food. There's lots of it's just spectacle, like right? events and that type of thing. There are museum exhibits. And then at the end, it all comes down to this really big Grand Kaduman parade. Um. So, yeah, it was, it was good from from everything that, you know, obviously, you know, from what I've seen, (laughs) it was good. So yeah, everybody had a great time.
0: That's fantastic. Did you actually play mass? Did you take part in the parade?
1: No, I don't. It's never been my thing. But I do enjoy the music, you know, because every, a lot of the local artists, they always bring new music for the season. So that was always great. So I did really like some of the songs. I really liked Brain Freeze by um, Ned pipe industry. I think that was one of the better songs. I also enjoyed Fine Wine by Alison Heinz. That was a really good one. I know she's a big deal up there. So
0: yes, some of my listeners may be familiar with her. But who who won Road March this year?
1: You know, it's funny. I did not check. <laughs> I'm not sure who won Road March, but it may have very well been Brain Freeze because Brain Freeze was the big song this year. It may have been but I'd have to check. Okay, no problem. So if my listeners
0: haven't gathered yet, I'm talking to Callie Browning who hails from um, Barbados. But Callie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Where are you from on the island? Um, What schools did you go to, etc.?
1: Well, I am from the St. Michael area. So you know, I had a very let me see. I guess a typical Barbadian childhood. You know, I used to walk to school. I used to go to my grandmother's house and pick fruit on weekends. I would. What else? I would. You know, we would go to the beach. You know, we would make shits in the sand and you know how to swim on our own. You know, just the usual. I think Barbadian childhood.
0: (laughs) That sounds idyllic. And in terms of your education, where did you go
1: to school? Well, I have done a lot of online courses. So that's really the bulk of where I've done my, my more formal education.
0: And have you traveled outside of Barbados and gone to other places? I know you like traveling.
1: Yes, I I have traveled. I've traveled throughout the region through north and central america to europe as well i'm always interested to you know every now and again i do meet some bayans when i'm overseas and i always find that to be fantastic you know just to not to have a place in such a small island on this planet and to be able to meet people who you know know what the place is like know what the food is like some really weird, far-flung places, you know? So I've always found that to be amazing whenever I meet other vagans overseas. I
0: mean, that's great. You were here earlier in the year. Um, how did you find yes. London?
1: I had one of the best trips ever when I was in London. It was absolutely amazing. I did walk to Raleigh City and did some tours. Um, I hung out with a friend of mine. Um, what else did we do? We saw uh West End show. It was really, really good. We had an amazing time. Thank you for that. And I'm glad to hear that
0: you had a good time while you were here. In terms of traveling in the future, do you have plans to go anywhere else?
1: Only this morning I was thinking about it, but you know, I'm I'm not sure just yet. I mean, I'm hoping that by the end of the month I'll have some of those plans.
0: And if money was no object, where would you like to travel to?
1: Mm-hmm. Probably want to go someplace I've never went before. Um, maybe, actually, you know what? Maybe Rwanda, I think. I've heard that it's very beautiful
0: there. I've interviewed somebody who's coming up in this season who who mm-hmm. does retreats in Rwanda. So perhaps I can connect Maybe. you both. But I've heard it's a really beautiful place to um, I've heard that
1: to. too. Yeah, I have heard that as well. And I've done some research. And I think that may be one of the next, well, not next, next, but hopefully soon. So yeah, connect us. I'd love to find out more about their Rwanda retreats.
0: When did you start
1: writing? Um, I started writing... Oh, boy. This is a long i sorry. I started writing maybe... Well, I think I always like to write when I was small. But in terms of my adulthood, I'm writing, that more really started maybe about... Maybe nine years ago. And I started doing more short stories. and Or oh, just, I think... And, and like, really micro-fiction, micro you know, just little things that I thought about and came up with and eventually I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until I eventually had a whole book. <laughs> What's the name of the first book that you wrote? The name of the first book that I wrote, well, it was a novella, and it was called um, The Shadow Guardian. But that one I eventually unpublished. And because it was, I felt like it wasn't exactly me, you know. But Then right. my first full length book was *The Girl with the Hazel Eyes*. And when did that book come out? That came out in 2019. Can you tell us what a little, a little bit about what that book is about? Sure. So that book is about Barbados's independence story, and it focuses on, well, you really meet this older lady. And she's grown and everything. And she wants to tell her life story. So she summons a young writer from Barbados um, to the U.S. where she's been in exile for nearly 50 years to write her story. And as the young girl starts to unravel everything, the woman tells her, she realizes there's, there's some holes missing. There's some holes in her story. And, you know, eventually she realizes that the old lady has a secret.
0: Okay, we don't want to talk out the whole thing, but it does it does <laughs> yeah, sound okay. intriguing. So, um, Thank was you. it this book that got picked up by um Oprah's Book Club?
1: Well not Oprah's Book Club, but Oprah Magazine. So Oprah well, now it's called Oprah Daily, but at the time it was Oprah Magazine in twenty twenty. So what they do is like for for Pride Month or like Black History Month or you know times where they want to focus on literature in particular they would pick like their definitive guide for books that you should read for these particular times and they chose my book as one of the 16 Caribbean books that you need to add to your reading list. Well that was fantastic Callie um how did that make you (laughs) feel when you found out? I literally did not sleep that night it was so amazing to be chosen especially because on the list, I am, one, the only Barbadian. I am, two, the only self-published author on the list. Um, so it was really amazing to to be among that crowd, especially because there were some real heavy hitters, some massive names in Caribbean literature on that list as well. And to be considered to be good enough to be in their company, was, it was
0: incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. And congratulations to you. After Thank that you. book was published, what was next? What book came next?
1: Well, next up was the follow-up to that, because it's a duology. But up next was The Vanishing Girls, which also focuses on, well, I kind of take real-life things that happened in Barbados. And I, you know, make my characters and put them into the situation and, you know, change it up a little. So that was The Vanishing Girls. That w- that came next in 2021. Then in at the end of 2021, I was approached by someone to have my one of my stories featured in an anthology that was published by Penguin Random House's crime division, which is called Crooked Lane. So that came out at the end of 2021 in November. Um, and it's all writers of color. So there are some Asians, there's some Latinx authors as well afro african-american and then again i was <laughs> still the only Barbadian, the only caribbean person in the anthology so oh, that's done that really that's well
0: hmm? absolutely i mean that's fantastic that's fantastic news but can we go back to the vanishing yes. girls because i sure. think it's the first book that i've read that um does it take place in a funeral home yes it does <laughs> Yes, yes, it's coming back to me now. It's the very first book mm. I've read that's set, uh, that's crime fiction and set mm. in a funeral home. Where do you get your ideas from? Mm. Um, who and what inspires you?
1: I, I, you know, people ask me that all the time, and I'm not even sure. Like sometimes I just have these really cookie ideas and they feel like they come from out of nowhere. But I actually started writing the male character first, the male protagonist first. And there was just something about him, like, as I wrote him, because it was supposed to be a very different story at first, but as I wrote him, I just really felt like, I just felt like he had a very interesting life story, and I felt like he was somebody who was raised in a very somber place, and, you know, he might be misunderstood, and that type of thing, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like, he just, he just treats me as someone who was raised in a funeral home, that was my thought, and... I just went with it.
0: <laughs> I was gripped from the first page in terms of reading that. Um, but what I didn't know that it was based around real life events. So mm-hmm. I take it these women, uh, the women going missing is the real life event that happened in Barbados. Am I correct?
1: Yes, um, it was called the Kenfield Murders. And it was the only time we've ever had a serial killer in the late 70s and early 80s.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. And you're able to tie that into a fictional story. Um, But tell me, do you use real places in Barbados?
1: Um, I'm inspired by real places. I don't really necessarily call them by name. But the thing is, a lot of people who are Barbados, do always tell me that they, they can identify the places, even though I've given them completely different names they can always identify them based on the descriptions that I give them. So, like, for example, there's one place called Buckworth Street, which is where the funeral home is set. And a lot of people said to me, this is Robot Street, isn't it? (laughs) And I said, yes. (laughs) Okay, okay.
0: Because, yes, there was a few places like, um, you know, Baxter's Road, um, you know, Mm -hmm. Nelson Street, very town places. that I Mm I wonder if that's the wondering if that's the place or not so uh, it's very very cleverly uh, very cleverly done so congratulations on the second book and unfortunately I think I read the second book first and then I um read (laughs) The Girl with the Hazel Eyes Mm -hmm. because um right at the beginning you make reference to you you actually name The Girl with the Hazel Eyes in Vanishing Girls and Mm -hmm. um you know, I thought, oh, okay, the books must be connected in some way. Was that always the plan <laughs> to um, write the book, write the story over two books?
1: I, you know what? Every time anyone asks me this, I always feel a little, <laughs> a little silly because I did not have any plan at all. <laughs> so, like, even when I wrote *Here's a Lies*, it was just me writing you know i really was just there for the joy of it and then one day out of the blue i just thought to myself you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna publish this book um and literally between making that decision and publishing it it took about 10 days and the longest part of that was waiting for the book cover to come back from the designer so you know i don't i haven't had a career that is meticulously planned and you know i've just gotten i don't know i've just gotten creative and just started to write i just normally have left these things there one side until i don't know something told me just just do it just out of the blue okay and and
0: and that's okay too it doesn't it doesn't everything doesn't have to be scripted and mapped out Mm. um and you know you can go with the flow but i did want to say that the book covers are lush and um Um, I'm actually looking at a copy now of your latest book, which is called The Secrets of Cat Spraddle Village. Cat Spraddle
1: Village.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the book cover is absolutely stunning. Um, Who designed that for you?
1: Well, the first two were designed by a company called eBook Lodge. And the second one was, sorry, the third one was designed by a company called The Monza. They have some really great designers, both of them. And I feel like they do listen very carefully to what it is they want. I mean, I write some really, I don't know, they feel like they're long briefs. But they're like two pages long where I tell them, you know, things I really want to include on the cover. Things that I don't. I send them pictures of other covers I like for inspiration. And I just feel like they do listen and they do care. But it's very much a collaborative effort, so they have always been able to take my vision and, you know, bring it to life, and that's amazing.
0: They have done very, very well. The colours are so vivid, and it looks like almost every tropical Mm -hmm. flower is uh, represented here. (laughs) So absolutely beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I like the way that it goes over to the back cover as well. So Mm -hmm. um, very, very well done. But tell us about the secrets of Catspaddle Village. What's that book about?
1: Well, over the years, I have written, as I mentioned before, I've written some short stories. So I actually, it's kind of funny because every single short story I've written, outside of like, yeah, every single short story I've written has somehow or the other managed to, like, be longlisted or shortlisted or won something. And I thought to myself you know what I'd love to just put all these together and you know so the beautiful thing about that book is that it's almost like when I put it out I already knew that the stuff in there was of a certain quality because they had all won something or been long or shortlisted for something so that was why so and then to like I realized like I asked myself what was the theme of this particular set of short stories because I just feel like they have to tie together you know and I realize I tend to have a habit of setting my short stories in these really small intimate villages. So I decided to name it Cat Sprattle Village. Cat Sprattle because, you know, when things go cat then they go wrong. There is some chaos. Everybody has like their own chaos, but you know, in the end it always works out. So that's just great I think for me.
0: Yes, I've um read the book and i was intrigued by the short stories there i mean you've entered a lot of competitions or your books have been Mm -hmm. um entered into lots of competitions um Mm -hmm. was that a deliberate move on your part to do so and what has been the benefit of being long-listed shortlisted and winning
1: awards the thing is i mean it's always great to actually win because then you know there's sometimes cash or you get to you know it's something that you have get to have on your resume um but at the same time some of them I wrote and they had one thing even before I started my you know my public writing career so some of them are older than even his life but the benefit of it I think at the time when I first started entering like I said before his life was that I felt like I just wanted feedback of some sort on what I was writing and I thought competitions were as good an avenue as any so I did that um later on as time went by I don't know I guess I just got more emboldened and I I guess it just seemed like a a great way to I don't know to just kind of keep myself relevant um there was one microfiction competition which I entered it was a 10 word competition and that one I actually won like $10,000 in prizes and that's why I actually worked with the to do the cover for Cats Battle Village because I had won the cover design prize. So that was one of the packages that I got inside the $10,000 suite of prizes. So yeah, that's one of the benefits in entering competitions that it can really help you along your writing journey if you win great stuff like that. I really
0: like what you're saying because
1: it's really lovely to have
0: feedback from um, judges in the region and judges Mm -hmm. overseas even if you don't win Mm -hmm. they will provide you with feedback on your work yeah it adds a bit Mm -hmm. of kudos to what you do as you say as a Mm -hmm. um a a writer and the benefits of um winning you know prize money to fund other projects and your Mm -hmm. other writing i think is um you know absolutely fantastic but tell me about the role of the cultural foundation Um, in Barbados how have they been able to support you with your work
1: they have actually been great to me so far so how have they helped me They helped me in a few different ways one of the things one of the first things they did last year was I was invited to a retreat in Europe to do some writing and I thought to myself okay well that sounds great and the person literally said to me i didn't ask i didn't say money was an issue or anything they just said to me don't worry i've reached out to your cultural ministry and they're going to help right that's wonderful yeah so the the ncf did send me to a retreat overseas to hone my writing and to do some networking with some really big names in british publishing so that was amazing they have also sponsored that honestly they do so much great work they do so much great work they had a free course which they had opened up for Barbadians about voice acting for audiobooks so I went to that because I was looking at a time to release Cat Prattle Village and I always wanted to do an audiobook so they had people in there giving us one-on-one feedback Giving us tips and tricks for how to get through the voice acting world for audiobooks. And then they also said, and we'll also give you guys like some studio time so that then you can record audiobooks if you want. So that's how I managed to get my audiobook done. They gave me the studio time and the engineering time as well. So that was really, really great to be able to produce that audiobook. It was just amazing, really. I'm very, very grateful for their help. That's wonderful, Kelly. Did you narrate the audiobook? I did. So I had some help from someone I know who works with audio engineering and they helped me to work on my diction and my dialect at the same time because it's not just straight English, you know. You want it to still have a Barbadian flavor, but still also to be understandable to an international market so it actually is much harder than it might sound if I was just reading you know straight English it would have been much easier but you know you still want it to have that flavor so it was amazing it was good and I really loved the process it was very long (laughs) it was very long but it was lots of fun in the end oh that's fantastic I was going to ask you how long did the whole process take long. Well, the good thing about this particular book was that because all of these stories were already done, you know, it was really just to the package them, format them, etc. Um, the audiobook part was the only thing I had to start from scratch. And I spent the audiobook is about an hour and a half long. And I spent about <laughs> four hours recording it. Right. So a lot more time recording than the actual length of it is and then after that we spent maybe I want to say maybe about 20 hours editing yeah it takes a while oh wow
0: yes yes and that's just a short that's just a short book Um, it's a very short book yeah 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 so a lot goes in to producing an audio book of an hour hour and a half so yeah I get that
1: yeah Um, yeah because I, I wanted to make sure it was perfect
0: Oh, absolutely, and I, and I get the bit about the Barbadian accent and the dialect, and making sure that it's on, you know, on point yet transferable to a global audience, so they can also enjoy the book as well. Is it something that you're likely to do again? Is this the way that you're going now in terms of <laughs> producing books and also audio books?
1: Um, you know, I have said to anyone who asks. I am not sure I will torture myself like that again. But I also said that when I finished writing and self-publishing my first book. So all I have gleaned from my actions is that I'm a glutton for punishment. So I will probably say no, but then... Knowing
0: me, mean, I probably will. <laughs> now no, no, that's funny. And um, I can totally relate because when you're going through it, you think to yourself, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why am I putting myself through this? <laughs> but when you see the fruits of your labor yes. at the mm-hmm. end of it and your book is published and you can hold it in, to, in your hands. I mean, you made a big mm-hmm. fanfare out of when you published The Secrets of Cat's Braddle Village. It came mm-hmm. in a beautiful presentation box with other bits and pieces. Why did you do that? So I don't think you did that with the other two books.
1: Yeah, I didn't do that with the other two. And it was primarily because because I have budgets for my book launches, because as I said before, I'm self-published. So of course, you know, you can't break really the bank. And the reason why was because I had won all of those other great prizes. I had won a formatting prize. I had gotten help from the local cultural agency to do the audiobook. I won the book cover prize, you know, so because of those things, I did have a little bit more the the budget that I normally would have allocated to a book launch, I suddenly still had it. So I decided, you know what, this is something I always wanted to do. I always wanted like this really cool limited edition box. So now that the money's actually there to do it, I want to do it. So that was really just something that I felt really strongly. And, you know, I very much felt that Art is not, is not meant to be something for selfish reasons. And over the years, I've realized how important it is for people in the region to see and to hear themselves. And you have no idea what it meant to me for so many people to say, you know what, I've always wanted a book box, but the cost is so prohibitive or the books aren't something that I want to read. And this is my first book box. You know, and it felt amazing to be able to to be a part of that for so many people. So many Bajans and Ketitians and Trinees, Jamaicans and people in the diaspora. It just meant so much to me to be able to to do that, truly.
0: It all looked really beautiful um, online. So congratulations on the limited edition. But if we can go back a bit, you've now got three books out and you have an anthology, why did you self-publish? And why is it that you um, haven't gone, you know, for the big five, you know, publishers that are out there and published with them?
1: Well, when I first started, I, you know, it's funny, but I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about that being an option. I just felt like, you know what? The best way to describe it was that I almost thought of it as like a craft project or something, like just something fun to do. (laughs) Um. So I don't think I thought of it, like I said, in a serious way, which I alluded to before. I didn't plan it. I didn't, you know, I didn't put enough thought into it. I can see now at the time I've just gotten lucky. But I have been thinking about it more and I have been getting some stuff ready to start looking for an agent. So I do want and part of that, too, was also figuring out what sort of author I wanted to be. Because you know, you know, you still have to have your genre, and I haven't really stuck to a genre very much <laughs> since I've started. So, yeah, all of that I've I've been thinking about and figuring out, and just trying to get some stuff ready so I can start looking for DJ. So yeah, that's the next.
0: Yeah, it feels like a natural step because your name is already known. Um, You know, you're an established author um, in terms of how many books you have published and so on. Um, That said, I quite like the idea that um, you're doing for yourself, you're self-publishing, you have the, the books. Published exactly how you want them, and the moment you go to, you know, you're taken on by one of the big five. You know, other authors have told me they have felt as though they've lost their voice in the midst of it because it's the it's the big publisher that decides what the cover looks like. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. they just, you know, in terms of their edit, they may suggest, you know, because obviously they want the book to be as marketable um, as possible. And we Mm -hmm. forget sometimes that these big publishers Mm -hmm. are a business. You know, they they just struggling um numerous um authors (laughs) and um Mm -hmm. they know what sells so you know Mm -hmm. people have commented on you know when you go to the big five you can lose your voice within all of that but how did you find the self-publishing process and what was the challenges
1: self-publishing it is about six full-time jobs so you are a writer you are an editor you are a publisher, because even if you outsource oh, these things, the reality is that you still have to check behind these people and make sure it's to your liking. You are a type setter. You are a creative director. You are a marketer. You are a salesperson. Yeah, you have to do all of these things well, equally well. There's no point in any of that where you can say, okay, well, I'm not so good at that. I just won't do it. There's no room for that error so that is the challenge where you have to be so amazing at so many different things which really and truly make no sense working together because you also have to be in charge of the budget and you know what i mean and creatives are generally known not to be people who are the best with admin so your admin has to be has to do really well also so yeah it's challenging to to wear so many diverse hats as a self-published author
0: Yes, I mean I can certainly relate to that. You are your own PR, your own marketing, Mm. your own social media channel, um, (laughs) your own social media uh, strategist and I have to say that your page on um, Instagram in particular, Mm. been following you for a while now, is beautifully maintained, some stunning pictures. I'm not surprised you say that Barbados is your muse um because Mm -hmm. there are so many you know inspiring aspects to it Mm -hmm. so how do you do that how do you manage it all and still maintain an an international presence online
1: (laughs) it's not easy and to be honest sometimes i just have to step back a little bit and i find i have to compartmentalize so when i'm writing i'm writing when i'm you know, publishing and publishing and all the other things that come with it. So I find I can't write and publish at the same time. So I find the writing suffers a little when I have a launch to do. Sorry, it doesn't suffer a little. It just doesn't exist. (laughs) So I feel like, yeah, I have to keep my brain attuned to one thing at a time because it it can wear you out, really. So that's how I do it for me. I mean, that's not the right way. I mean, it would be great to be able to you know, <laughs> publish and write at the same time and have something ready for the next time. But yeah, I just like to do it in pieces. I just find that works better for me.
0: It most certainly does. Um, it, you know, as I said, there are some stunning pictures um, of you mm-hmm. online.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and what I've been impressed with is that um, whilst you're online and you're, you know, there are YouTube videos of different interviews that you have done and so on, people don't really know what you look like. Was that deliberate,
1: and why? It is deliberate because I'm, you know, I think people are always looking for some incredibly profound answer. And truth because I'm just shy. I just, <laughs> I just don't do well with photos. That's just me. I like taking pictures. I truly do, which I guess a lot of people may have noticed by now, because I, like you said, I do like pretty pictures, and I take a lot of them. Just not necessarily of um, myself. So, yeah, it is deliberate, but just because
0: I'm just shy. Oh, bless you. But but it does (laughs) create some kind of mystery around you as well. You're just as mysterious as your stories that you tell as well. So, you know, (laughs) people are intrigued, you know, to know, you know, what does Callie Brown look like and to know a bit um, about her. But as I said, you're there, but not there, you know. So I've seen lots of photos of you holding your book being on the beach and showcasing your work but um, I think it's good to take a professional distance as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Tell us what's next then in terms of your book projects going forward.
1: Well going forward I'm actually writing a YA fantasy right now. I'm hoping to be able to finish it but I am madly in love with the book so far. It is I don't know it's, it's something that I wish was around for me to read when I was growing up, it's I'm just very excited about it. So that's what I'm working on. I also have a World War II romance, which I was going to give away for free last year when I had finished it. But it's a novella. But the beta readers that I gave it to, they came back and said, I love it, but and I know you want to give it to us for free. But don't give it to us for free. Make it longer. Make it a full story. And <laughs> we'll pay for it. I was like, uh, well, I was trying to do a freebie. They were like, no, 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 no. Make us pay for it and just make it longer. <laughs> so I have to get oh, back man. to that. And yeah, so the thing I found about readers is that readers really like to read. So they love their long stories. Actually, that is one of the things that I've been cussed for a lot with Cat Sprattle Village. People were like, Oh, my gosh, these stories were so great. Just just give us more, man. We want more stories. Absolutely. So. I, yeah,
0: <laughs> I absolutely agree. I felt like I wanted more, and then it was done. I read my first fantasy book not that long ago called um, mm. This One Sky Day, by Leon Ross Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. also I think one of the longest books that I've read as well Mm -hmm. and fantasy it took me into an area where I had to suspend reality and what I know so I am looking forward to reading your young adult fantasy to see what that's like is that book also based in Barbados or a place that resembles Barbados in some way
1: it resembles Barbados very very much I just I don't know I mean they say right what you know and I guess that's just always going to be my shtick you know this country and the people and the culture they just always find their way in so yeah very much
0: so. I mean, and that's <laughs> wonderful, isn't it? That's wonderful. That's the, the connection between all of your books. The theme that runs through mm. them is the fact that you hail from Barbados and you're writing what you know about. So to see Barbados in fantasy writing is going to be very interesting indeed. You took part in your first anthology not that long ago. What is that book called? And, and what has been the advantage of taking part in an anthology?
1: The book is called Midnight Hour, and it's about a whole bunch of crimes that happen at midnight. So literally, the crimes are all very different. So some are cozy mystery, some are more, they have like a little funny edge, some are like noir type crime. So that's the great thing about it, that there's so many flavors of crime inside that book. And then too, like I said, because they're all by writers of color, you also have these cultures interwoven. So, like, you have my stuff, which is Caribbean. You have the X people who, you know, like, they talk about churros and, and like, you know, like a crime happened at this little cozy place where people speak a little Spanglish. And you have Asian stuff. And it's so great for that reason. You know, you get so many different flavors. It's, like, a really amazing bookish buffet, you know? So the advantage of being... And something like that was it. I mean, obviously, there are 20 people in the thing. So I got to meet these other 19 amazing writers. And so many of them actually won, like, Edgar Awards and that type of thing. And it but was also featured by... It got a great review from the New York Times. So you you get to rub shoulders with a crowd that is more established than you. You get to have the advantage of, like, you know, in the Caribbean, we have Susu, you know, like a meet intern turn type of thing. And it felt almost like that, where, you know, everybody's audience you know but to meet you because you know you're there too and they already have their audience and their audience loves them and it was just really really great to be able to meet these people and to network in that way and and then even to learn from them to to read their stories and see how they do things and yeah man it was it was amazing
0: a lot of writers get put off writing because they think they have to reach a magic, you know, 50,000 words or 60,000 words to be taken seriously. But um, I have been pushing that being part of an anthology means that you only have to commit to um, a smaller or shorter word count. What would you say were the advantages of taking part How would you encourage um, writers to take part in anthologies?
1: I don't know if I want to say I would encourage anyone to do anything in particular, just because I feel like writing is such a personal thing because it is art, right? Um, Like I just said a few minutes ago, the biggest prize I've ever won was for a 10-word story. So I really think it comes down to... And then, too, some people may realise they like poetry better. I think it really comes down to someone really sitting down and just experimenting and exploring what they want to do and then deciding, well, okay, well, this works for me or this doesn't. Because I feel like that may be the off-putting part, that people keep telling people to do things that they aren't really sure if it's going to work for them. I feel like there's there's room to play and explore and, and, and just be okay with what you are in the end of it. Yeah, I
0: think I like what you're saying because you, you, and you have done it in terms of you've written a a 10 word story, you've written short stories in your collection, you've also written novellas as well, and now you're doing a young adult fantasy. I think the learning here is that we shouldn't pigeonhole ourselves. We can do it all, or at least experiment and see if we like writing in different kinds of ways. So I like the way that your career hasn't been pigeonholed as as crime fiction or contemporary fiction or women's fiction, you're doing a whole range of things and exploring your creativity in that way. But um, tell me, Kelly, if people wanted to reach out and, and connect with you, how would they do that?
1: Well, I'm pretty much all over the place. I am, as you just said, on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. I don't use Facebook as much, but every now and again, you will find me there. I'm on Threads. I also have a website, com, And I'm reachable in all of those different ways. <laughs> it's fantastic. And your handle on Instagram is Kelly, isn't it? Yes, on Twitter, Instagram and threads. I have kept it really, I've tried to keep that consistent. The only place where my handle is different is on TikTok, which is Browning on TikTok. But otherwise, it's Kelly. And where can people get hold of your books? Well, if they want, they can also go on, like I said, my website. That's where you can see where to find them all over each of them. But in general, you can find them on Amazon, com. You can find them at Waterstones online. You can find them at, I think, Target and Kobo. You can find them all over the place. The audiobook is also available on Audio, um, Audible, sorry, Chirp, and a whole bunch of other places.
0: That's fantastic. So basically, we're all good books are, are sold. Yes. Um, yes. They can find your book. Yeah. How are you mm-hmm. going to spend the rest of the day?
1: I actually um, have my set up there. As soon as I get off with you, I'm going to go and do some writing. I didn't do any That's yesterday, fun. but yeah, today's the day.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Caddy. thank you for spending this hour with me. I really appreciate that. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavours.
1: Thank you, it's been wonderful. It was so nice to finally have a chance to chat with you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my interview with Callie Browning. It is competition time now. Will you listening carefully? In her book, The Vanishing Girls, where is the book set? Is it A, a children's home, B, a funeral home, or see at Callie's home. Taking part couldn't be easier. Contact me on Instagram at lovingtheauthor by this Friday to win a free download of her new book, The Secrets of Cat's Spraddle Village. Good
1: luck and i will see you next time. Bye for now.